Do, 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 do. His name is Scott Minor. Do, 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 do. And this is his podcast. Hi, I'm Scott, and uh, this is Tangents. Today is April 10th, 2020. Um, I'm not going to talk about politics for a while. I have lots of thoughts about it, and I'm sure I'm going to come back to it very soon. Um, this morning, I've been kind of fighting with some technical issues. Um, I'm, I'm sorry I listened to the previous one of these and there was this low-level hiss in the whole thing and uh, tried to isolate it and I'm not certain that I have. I think I have, but uh, this is one of those cases where it really helps to have somebody else in the booth um, working for you. So one thing that, uh, I don't know, I'm I'm going to go off on a little technical stuff for a little while just because this is a completely different thing. It has nothing to do with COVID-19, has nothing to do with politics, uh, but it drives me insane. And it's been a major frustration in my life um, recently. And this is just, I, I'm going to give you some, some history. So many, many years ago when I was a kid, um, I kind of, I wouldn't say that I was like a, person who really followed Steve Jobs and Apple, but kind of kept coming into my life. Um, by which I mean, you know, the first time I remember was I had this friend, Frank, he had an Apple II. Um, that was you know, really just the first time I ever used an Apple. Um, the first time I ever became aware of the company. I was a little kid at the time. And so start going there and then drifts off for a while. And then over time, I would read, um, I was really into science and technology magazines. So my, after my parents got divorced, I'm jumping forward quite a few years, but after my parents got divorced, um, I would fly once a month or so from uh, Indiana and then later Milwaukee to Pittsburgh where my dad lived. And later on, once every few months from Arizona to, uh, to there. And while I was doing that, I'd read these tech magazines and I kept reading about Steve Jobs and, you know, at various times talking about Next, talking about, uh, you know, the PowerPC initiative, um, the, you know, switching from the old, I think there's 6800 series or something like that to uh, PowerPC and then later switching from PowerPC to Intel processors. Um, lots of things like this. I've kind of, you know, it's just been there. Uh, sort of interstitially and in the background. Um, my friend Joe and I in middle school would just talk about computers all the time and Steve would come up. We talked about, Joe was like super into Amigas and it was hard, at, it was hard at that time to not have this guy kind of like come in and out of your life. Um, I never had an Apple computer myself though until something, something around 2000. Um, I was working at Intel and not really the best time to get a Mac uh, because this was when they still had power PCs, but the titanium PowerBook G4 was coming out and I was excited about it. And it wasn't the, that computer so much that I was excited about, although I was, that was my first, um, it was actually my first uh, notebook computer. Um, nope, that's not true. Never mind. That's not true. I had a Dell before that. So my first, actually my second, 
second notebook computer. Um, but I got this computer and I was mostly excited about Mac OS X because up until this time, uh, I had had Windows and I was dual booting. I wasn't even a Linux kind of dual booting guy. I was a BSD, either FreeBSD or OpenBSD at various times. I loved the Unix underneath. Um, I, I used to like really tinkering with my, uh, my window manager and all of the settings of that. Over time, I kind of got disenthralled with it. And at a certain point, you're kind of like, well, I can spend all this time tinkering or I could just get everything kind of like done for me professionally by somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. In that case, Apple. And so Mac OS X was this thing where it was like, you get to have a pretty nice computer and an operating system that has Unix underneath, but the consumer polish on top. It was so much better than dual booting. And uh, even though it was a change from Windows for me, really liked it. Uh, it's funny to look back at what it looks like compared to today. Um, so many things, they had this pinstripe thing and it just so many things um, looked bizarre in retrospect, but it, it was a pretty major improvement over what I had before. And at the time, looked cool. Uh, over, over the years, I was very happy with Mac computers. Uh, I, I've had, I don't even know how many MacBook Pros. I had a MacBook Air. Um, I probably had like five or six MacBook Pros. And I recently, maybe three or four years ago, got a 15 inch MacBook Pro. And this was one that had the butterfly keyboard. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Um, this was a keyboard that was pretty cool in terms of how it was engineered, but super thin gave you still kind of a tactile feel, but it had some pretty major issues. So if you use this keyboard, keys would stick. Sometimes they would press multiple times. Sometimes they wouldn't press at all. And it was just this major problem. This keyboard thing was really annoying. Still a pretty good computer, but, but annoying. And Apple, up until that point, I had pretty much always um, been pretty, pretty happy with. I, you know, th there were things that I wasn't 100% on board with. For the longest time, uh, they had this radar system, which was like their bug reporting system. Um, still is incidentally kind of shitty, but at the time it was terrible. It was, I mean, it, it was like a 90s era website in the 2000s and they stuck with it until maybe five or six years ago. I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it's been a decade now, I don't know, but it's been not that long and well after it was showing its age. The current system for bug reporting, still shitty. Um, every time I report a bug, I, I almost don't bother anymore because I report them and either they're just black holed or I get a, res a response that says, um, this is a known issue. And then that issue re remains for like years and years, which annoys the shit out of me. Um, it just gradually over time though, I've, I've been getting disenthralled. Now I still think Apple does a lot of good stuff and I don't want to totally shit on the company. I have friends who work there. I overall like the company, but you start seeing cracks, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that like once Steve died, uh, the company just fell apart, but after he died, 
uh, the iPhone developed a bulge where the camera was. And you could say, well, Scott, you know, you have to, in order to have this camera, um, you want to have all these lenses, which incidentally, if you haven't seen this, you should look at the optics in a modern uh, phone camera. It's like all these lenses squished together in this tiny little package and aligned with like micrometer precision. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's incredible that this optical package exists in a phone in everybody's pocket. And at, as expensive as phones are, the fact that it's as cheap as it is, is insane. Um, it has moving parts, it has, you know, it corrects for a bunch of aberrations, and it's just a pretty impressive thing. But it started bulging out because they had to make the phone thinner and thinner and thinner. And at the same time, they're shrinking the battery. And they are improving battery utilization. So for the same number of milliamp hours in the battery cell, uh, the same amount of energy, you get more runtime, which means they could shave off some battery and get the same runtime run and shrink the phone because that was like just obsessive, had to shrink it. And so they make the phone thinner and they finally made the phone thinner than the camera started sticking out, uh, which is annoying. The only thing that's kind of nice about it is that after they got rid of the, uh, the tactile home button, which I don't mind being gone at all, that camera is the one thing left on the phone that gives you any real orientation. I mean, I guess you can kind of use the buttons, but the buttons on the sides are not uh, distinct enough to really like, you know, center you in it. And so you have this, this little nudge, nubbin kind of uh, feature that lets you orient the phone. It's okay for that reason. Still ugly, and I would rather have a thicker, a slightly thicker phone more battery life, uh, but that's just me. Small complaint. Uh, they came out with the Apple Pencil. And this Apple Pencil was, first off, and I'm not, I'm not at all married to like the dictums of Steve, but he did say, if we have a stylus, we blew it. And I gotta say, I bought a pencil. Uh, I got an iPad Pro. I would get an iPad Pro again and get the new pencil. Um, and the new one at least fixed some of the issues with the old one, but the old one, the charging mechanism was to pop off a cap, which I haven't lost because I'm kind of anal with this stuff, but I guarantee almost everybody that has one of these misplaces it at some point. Pop off the cap and then you stick it in the back of the iPad Pro. And it's just this iPad Pro rectangle with the long cylinder attached to it, just begging to get knocked off. I can't imagine that those connectors don't regularly get damaged. In the process and if that connect if the connector in the iPad is damaged uh, you have no way of charging it maybe the new ones have um, inductive charging but the old one certainly didn't so that was annoying um, they had this ba external battery pack that also had a weird bulge um, where the cells were and it just they did a lot of things that you're kind of like eh, you know what are they doing here and those things I don't mind that much, but they just kind of irked me. And the thing that's really getting to me recently um, is just, I got, I got this MacBook Pro with the keyboard and I would hit I and I'd get like multiple presses of the I registered. So I'd be typing, hit I while I'm typing, and then I'd go like I, 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 I instead of one little I. 
annoying as fuck. You know, when you're typing and you're constantly having to pay attention to something like that, it gets in the way of your flow. It keeps you from actually making progress that you want to make. And finally, you know, they, they did, to their credit, they had this program where they would replace the keyboard for free. Awesome. But in order to do that, you had to give them the computer for like a week. Um, if you're like me and that's your primary computer and you work on it, good luck finding a week where you can be without your Mac. So finally, um, last summer, I ended up going to a wedding. And for that trip, I decided I'm not going to take my computer. Um, I'm not going to take my computer, took it into the Apple store, and I get it back. Still an issue. Uh, better, better, but still an issue. Uh, my friend Daniel um, had a MacBook Air, had that issue, and he ended up taking it back three times, getting the keyboard replaced three times, still had the issue. And every time you get, you know, like that, that's his primary computer, every time he takes it in, now you have to find something else to do to work on. And it was, you know, like days to a week each time to do that. So it's just like, uh. So out of some level of frustration, they come out with this 16-inch uh, MacBook Pro in the fall. And I got one. Um, in fact, I got one fully loaded. Like everything, graphics memory, RAM, hard drive, or SSD, maxed out. Not a cheap computer, but I got it. Um, I get it, and the first day that I use it, the thing freezes and then reboots. Um, pretty quickly, actually, like within an hour of using it. And it starts happening again and again and again. Um, in fact, ever since I've had it, that's been happening a lot. Now, this is my primary computer, mind you, so I'm, I, I could probably take it in to Apple. Oh, I could have returned it. To be fair, I didn't do that. I should have in retrospect. But I thought, you know, okay, this has got to be just some software issue. Uh, I've had many different versions of Mac OS X on this computer. And at the time I had the production release. Uh, now, because I'm an idiot, I always have the, um, the betas, which in, in Apple's defense are guaranteed to be buggier and, uh, and such. But Still, I'm sure the, the issues that I'm facing there are hardware related and they're not related to using beta. So this has just annoyed the hell out of me. And it's, it's, it's actually like to the point where I'm bordering on not wanting to get a Mac again. Um, I, I really kind of wish, you know, I, I don't want a Windows machine. I'm not a huge fan of Microsoft. I don't like, uh, you know, there are certain things Microsoft does that nice but overall I have to use Windows for some um, some CAD work that I do and it's not my favorite at all um, it's amazing actually how much better the interface is and almost every aspect of the experience with Mac OS other than the fact that my computer keeps dying you know um, I have I know there are some people who uh, have actually had their computer brick because of this stuff like to the point where they had a non-functioning computer. When you spend, I don't know, four grand on a computer, you expect the fucking thing to work, right? And it's just like, um, I don't know, I'm not a like 
super litigious person, but I really want a class action lawsuit against Apple for this. I wish that they would fix the fucking thing. And I'm sure, again, like I could take it to the Apple store, uh, go to the Genius Bar, make an appointment. They'll change out the logic board um, from what I've read, though, doesn't fix the thing because it seems to be a design issue, as far as I can tell. Uh, there are a lot of things in the, uh, in the Apple forums about this. And so I'm just stuck, like, why? Why? It's, it's annoying. And I'm, you know. So I've got to get another Mac in the future. I've got to get a Windows machine, which I hate. Uh, I guess you could do like a Chromebook or something, but that's even more disgusting for me. There's not really another option that, that I have at the moment. Almost to the extent where if I had the time and money I'd want to get into making computers or wearables or something that, you know, something. It, it feels almost ripe, like uh, these companies are getting stagnant and uh, they're just, you know, just, I mean, they're, they're obviously still improving the processor every time, but, you know, you get things like this and it's just so frustrating. This is Apple, hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank. Um, this is not like some small startup. Frustrating as fuck. Test the fucking thing. Get this kind of issue resolved. I can't imagine this was not something that came up in testing, honestly. But anyway, that has been a very depressing trajectory for me. And I mean, you look back at the... There were lots of highlights with Steve. You know, I, for years, would watch his um, Steve notes. And I don't know what it is about that dude. You know, it was kind of amazing. Just, I mean, in terms of marketing, this guy was a fucking genius. I, and not just, like you go all the way back to the Think Different campaign, which it just kind of, even by that time, actually Apple was one of the most trusted and known brands in the world, which is insane given where they were. Think Different, um, Apple's coming back. It just, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It's so resonant even today. It's kind of timeless. The only thing that ages it at all for me is just that the video is kind of outdated. But other than that, it's an amazing ad campaign. Probably the most famous ad campaign in history. You know, um, Apple, of course, had the 1984 commercial. You know, that's also, you look at this and it's just so good. Now. This is not to say Apple didn't have lots of flaws. Certainly not to say that Steve was a great guy. Although I will say this about Steve. I, at, like, you, you see all of these stories about how ridiculously over the top awful the guy was. I don't know, he was terrible to work for, mercurial, all of this. But then, like, if you go on YouTube, I might try to find a link for this for you, but there's a video that's like um, the eight times or 10 times that Steve is blowing his top at somebody and it's all video clips now granted maybe he knows that he's being recorded and he's like moderating himself but every one of these times the the common thread as far as i could tell is he had said something many times over tried to correct it um, he's in a situation where he's like getting to a presentation and there's some you know like serious like you've got to do this and it's got to be good and then his blowing the top was like elevating a little bit 
Um, it didn't seem like, like I've seen people actually like freak out, you know. Steve Ballmer, if, if you wanted to see somebody freak out, you don't want that guy yelling at you. You know, this is um, like frat boy monkey guy. Um, developers, 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 develop, you know. You don't want that guy yelling at you. Steve Jobs, I could take. I, I, I think so. Maybe not. Maybe it's worse when you're actually there. But I feel like I could deal with it. And I also feel like I understand where he's coming from. Because he has some insight. He is trying to accomplish certain things. And yeah, yeah you, and you run up against certain walls that don't need to be there. And you tell people, this is what I want. This is what I want. You do it like five or six times. And then at a certain point, you're like, what the fuck? Why can't we just do this? Um, I'm... You know, I'm not at all trying to compare myself to him here, but I'm a pretty calm guy. And I do notice being a calm guy, if you elevate just a little bit, it's crazy how people perceive that as like, whoa, you know. If I go like from my standard zero to about 0.5, people feel like I'm yelling or like really, really loud. Um, I suspect he had a little bit of that. Whereas like Steve Ballmer, he's always at like an eight and you know, he goes to a 12 and it's like, yeah, this is over the top, but it's kind of just expected. Um, it's a weird, weird thing. And it's also, I think one reason why uh, being kind of low key has, uh, depending on how you look at it and how you use that, has some advantages. Because if you are low key, you don't have to go up to 12. You can go up to one or two and oh shit, that's like, you know, people feel it, people care. So with that, I'm not gonna, not gonna ramble on too much about that, but it's, it's just a thing that, uh, yeah. I guess I will go back through a little bit of this. Um, yeah, at these Steve notes, the Steve Jobs keynotes, I'd watch them and they just, you can watch, oh, they're all on YouTube, uh, probably not, as relevant now, uh, although there probably is a lot that you can learn from them. Like one thing that you could definitely learn from him is there's a video that you can find of Steve Jobs, and I think it's his first televised interview. And this is like 1977 or something, like at Apple One just kind of like getting out there, starting the company, and he's on television and he looks so squirrely and anxious. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where if you see that progression over time, it kind of gives you a little hope that if you can get to get from that to the Steve Jobs uh, supermarketeer guy, yeah, um, cult, leader, cult leader, reality distortion field, all of this stuff, you can go from one to the other. I, I feel like uh, a normal person can go, you know, maybe from not nearly there, a little bit better too. Maybe not as, as high, but decent. You know, I think that's, it's probably a good lesson. Uh, I do notice there are like a lot of people that see, this kind of like a cargo cult thing with him where you'll get people, and I'm suddenly self-conscious uh, that I'm wearing a, not a turtleneck, but uh, something that vaguely, vaguely maybe resembles his standard uniform. This is just what I like to wear, it has nothing to do with that. But uh, I do see a lot of people who will dress like this dude. And uh, I mean, like the most famous example is of course, uh, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. 
and she had this ridiculously deep voice, if you don't know that, um, which seems to be, you know, an act, like a, a put-on, basically. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit on her, actually, now. Um, so leaving Apple and Steve for the moment, I will talk about it later, I'm sure, but not a ton that can be said, given that it's so well-known. And similarly, Theranos, I'm not going to say something new here, uh, probably. Although I will say this, I have some sympathy for Elizabeth Holmes. And not to say by any means that I don't think she did horrible things. And I think in the end, she was completely, completely guilty and, uh, you know, like all this stuff was on her. But in the beginning, when you look at it, you know, you have this 18-year-old kid going to Stanford. Um, father is like a VC or something. And, you know, when you're a kid and you have a bunch of adults, especially adults who are actually like serious-ish people or ostensibly so, and they're telling you how much of a genius you are and they just really desperately want um, female founder, Stanford dropout, all this stuff. They want that. Um, really wanted it. You know, somebody that feels like the next Steve Jobs. And all these people are telling you this stuff. And not only that, you're, imagine you're 18 and somebody throws a couple million dollars at you um, for some idea that you had that by all accounts was a shitty idea. I mean, it's it, not shitty in the sense that, you know, like, oh, that's a dumb idea. But I mean, she talked to professors and they would tell her like, you just, that's not physically possible. You can't do this for this reason. You can't do that for this. You know, like what she wanted to do was basically make a multi-drug patch um, that would clip onto you and then uh, have all the drugs you would need, detect things, and then magically administrate the drugs that you need when you need them. Um, yeah. It's the kind of thing that if you had nanotechnology and we were significantly more advanced, you might think about. Um, probably wouldn't have it in patch form, you just have it built in at that point. But at the moment, fucking crazy thing. So the idea is you're going to have all these things in somehow in the ability to get those drugs into you, get blood and um, serum samples out, measure these things continuously without getting fouled, without, um, without contaminating you and infecting you. Um, and then you have to have a lot of, like when you look at the doses of drugs, you'd have to have, for example, several different antibiotics. You look at antibiotic pills, you see how big those fucking things are? It's not filler. A lot of that is actually antibiotic. You look at, um, you know, imagine epinephrine or something like this. Not a small volume of stuff. So you'd have to have something that was massive. And if there was a software glitch, there'd be enough stuff in there to kill you. So not a great idea um, in terms of even just like energetics, the amount of power you would need, the weight, the, the size, the physical volume, not a great idea. Somehow over time, she goes from that to this Edison device, which is, again, not like completely insane. It was this lab on a chip or lab on a small, in a small box, uh, microfluidics, all of this, um, stuff that is real to some extent, at least, you know, like at the, at the most foundational level, um, maybe passes muster on the first sniff test if you don't know very much about medical testing. But if you do, one thing that you might realize is the thing, like you get this big volume, they do this vacutainer uh, thing where they do a venous draw 
fill up these big tubes like this. Um, and sometimes you'll go in, you'll get like three or four tubes with preservative in them and all of that. And then they do tests on them. The reason that they do that much volume is because your blood is not totally homogenous by any means. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because you, one thing that I see people not understanding about polling very often is that they'll think, oh, well, this poll has 500 people. This can't be a very reasonable sample. Um, you, when you do polling though, it's like taking a bit of water from a swimming pool. You don't have to take gallons and gallons of water. You can take drops of water from that pool and get a pretty good idea of the chemistry of the pool because it's very well mixed, it's homogenous. Um, for populations, it's not quite the swimming pool, but it's much better than blood. Shockingly few people in a poll gives you pretty high statistical significance. Um, you can get to within 5% uncertainty. So you get numbers out of it, plus or minus 5%. I think with the US population, it ends up being like six or 700 people have to be polled for that. Um, and then there's a confidence interval that goes in with that. This is one of those things uh, like, I complain that people didn't understand the 538 stuff in 2016. And uh, to be fair to people, you have to understand what the uncertainty is. So you, you have a measurement and then there's some uncertainty, some like error bars around it. And then there's also confidence in uh, that measurement and that uncertainty, which is another number. And you have to kind of like understand this stuff. Uh, there, there's more to statistics than you can grab like I, I could go, I mean, statistics, introductory statistics is a semester course, uh, gets into that kind of stuff. I could like superficially give you a rough idea of that stuff now, but um, more than anything, you probably get enough to convince yourself that you knew much more than you do. Um, it's, it's a super dangerous thing. And I think one of the things, uh, this sort of Dunning-Kruger thing, where as you learn a little bit about something, very quickly, you know, enough to feel like you know way too much. Uh, but then you learn more and you're like, oh shit, there's a lot more that I don't know. Hopefully you get past that hump. But so many people today uh, learn that little bit and they're like, oh, I've got it all. Um, and I think Elizabeth Holmes falls right into that category. So many, so many people today um, have that situation. One, one dude, uh, Matt Octo, um, got in the, I'm gonna jump back to Elizabeth Holmes in a bit, but in, this is kind of relevant because of the current pandemic, because I got in an argument with him several times and it was kind of protracted, uh, but basically when Ebola was a big thing, I think it was 2014, Obama was president and the World Health Organization had certain guidance. Matt is sitting there saying like, oh, I have this super secret. And it, it, it was kind of like, borderline conspiratorial thinking, but uh, yeah, very, very much Dunning-Kruger. I have the secret information because I have my startup that has all this data that nobody has. And all of these epidemiologists and the CDC and the World Health Organization and all of these, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But I, Silicon Valley VC, uh, with basically no qualifications other than like maybe some machine learning or something, I, but certainly not an epidemiologist. Uh, this guy convinced himself, you're like, oh no, you have to do this and you have to do, and totally against the guidance of the World Health Organization. He ended up being very, very wrong, demonstrably. It's one of the few things that is nice about people making these kinds of predictions. Although, asshole deleted the tweets where he's making all of these 
things. He deleted the tweets where we were going back and forth. And then he blocked me, uh, to, to be fair, because I kept bringing it up every time something else like this would come up and like he would pop into my feed or something about something new and recently about COVID-19. And then you're like, oh yeah, this guy, shitty track record. Uh, and also, it's not just that he had a shitty track record. It's like, you know, if I'm wrong about something, I at least the aspiration should be. If you are wrong about something, it's not, it's not bad to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Elizabeth Holmes made mistakes. If she would have recognized her mistakes early on, she probably could, I mean, she had all this capital just sitting there waiting for her. If she would have seen those things, she could have made something. Like, who knows what it would be, but something, something that would actually work. She had all these professors at Stanford that she was talking to. If she would have listened to these people, she would have gone, hey, what about this? They'd go like, no, that doesn't work. And keep churning on some other ideas instead of just like locking onto these bad ideas. Um, and so like this Matt guy, if he would learn from his fucking mistake and not keep doing the same shit and just trying to hide it. Um, yeah. And I, I don't mean to pick on this guy, but it's just, it annoys the hell out of me that so many people make these prognostications and proclamations on Twitter. And then um, they never mea culpa. They never, and not just Twitter, but you know, like they'll go on TV, Dr. Drew recently. So there's a, there's a fucking thing I should talk about. Um, I'll get back to Elizabeth Holmes eventually. I'm not gonna doodle on her for too much longer, but I mean, just, you know, like the, the fake Steve thing, deep voice thing, the Dunning-Kruger thing. But Dr. Drew, I, the, one of the things that actually got me interested in radio, got me interested in podcasting, got me interested in doing this was when I was a kid, um, like a kid being like late high school, undergrad, and actually, I guess through, you know, carried it through my master's in Hawaii, which was a pain in the ass because at the time nobody carried Loveline, but I listened to Loveline with Adam and Dr. Drew. And I would defend, like, it's a funny show, interesting stuff, hints of things that I should have seen. But I never really picked up on them, and I just kind of, at the time, or I picked up on them, and I was like, yeah, he's just joking. Um, turned out not. But I would listen to these guys, really enjoyed it, and it was kind of like a, uh, a big brother and an uncle or something, you know, that would come in, and like, I'd be, I'd go biking at night, I'd go through Papago Park and I'd just be listening to, to this thing, just love it. Uh, Papago Park is this place near Tempe, maybe it's in Tempe, which feels like you're in the desert, even though you're like 10 minute bike ride from ASU. Pretty awesome. Um, you're like right in the city, feel like you're in the desert. Parks are great. But anyway, I'd listen to, to these guys and gradually over time, I started realizing Adam is problematic. Yeah, which people told me for a long time. And I kind of feel like a schmuck that I was defending the guy for a very long time. And he's, he's pretty much an asshole. Um, you know, very, very misogynistic. And the thing actually that bothers me more than anything is just like the guy is so dedicated to, uh, like, I don't even know that he necessarily believes a lot of the stuff that he says, but a lot of idiotic right-wing shit. Um, he's always in with the uh, PragerU this Prager guy, uh, who is, I, there are certain people who do much more harm, <laughs> like proportionally, this one person's dumping so much garbage into the environment. It's like, uh, 
you know, okay, you have a fire in your fireplace at home. Not great, but it's, it's a thing. It's not that bad. And then you have a steel mill down there and they're burning Coke and uh, Coke is like carbonized. It's coal basically that you've combusted partially to burn off all of the compounds other than carbon. And so it's like, you know, it's Coke. But they're just burning this without any kind of air filters or anything like this. And that, you know, it's like leaving soot everywhere and it's just horrible. Prager, one of these guys. Adam Carolla, one of these guys. And I didn't realize it until pretty, pretty recently. Well, I say recently. My perspective of time is maybe a little bit stretched out. But Adam and Drew started doing podcasts together. And in this one, I was listening to the two of them. And I started realizing... You know, okay, I knew Adam was bad, but I still liked it. But then I started realizing, oh, Dr. Drew, also kind of fucking bad. Um, in retrospect, much worse than I thought. Uh, this guy, I would say, kind of exploited a lot of people. Like, I used to think he was doing stuff with uh, at least noble intentions. Like, you can do things, have good intentions, and, uh, you know, ends up being a bad thing. I thought that that was the case. I knew it was a bad thing, but I thought he meant well. Then you start getting, oh, this guy actually just gives a shit about uh, being on TV, just gives a shit about making money. And then you start getting into the politics stuff and you're like, oh, he's kind of a right-wing nut job. Um, yeah. And again, I'm not making any claims here at neutrality. I, I'm explaining where my politics are. Uh, the thing about right-wing nut jobs is I think even people like me who are kind of lefties are fucked because of these guys. Because at one point in time, and I'm not trying to, I'm not a nostalgia guy. I am not saying that things used to be much better. But at one point in time, you had things like, um, God, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, William F. Buckley. Kind of an asshole, but at least I think an intellectually honest one. At least he was coming from a point of principles, I think. Maybe I'm just, you know, looking at the past with rose-colored glasses, but seemed like he was, you know, he had his framework of understanding things, was well-intentioned within it, and I think that was actually decent. So, um, and he would talk with people and actually debate with them, and there was this mutual respect. People would make their case, he'd make the, his case, uh, you know. But now what you have is just people dumping garbage into the environment. I don't mean garbage in the sense of, um, you know, like toxic waste, but essentially the same thing, just bad, bad information. And so, so anyway, I'm probably going off for way too long on too many things here, but uh, the Dr. Drew thing recently, he said something about COVID-19, didn't want to talk about it, but I, you know, like, how can you not? said something and not just once, but many times over, basically explaining, oh, it's not that big of a deal. People are making too much of a, you know, this is a weird situation of where we are. Um, politics is political, but science is political. You can't, you can't have epidemiology without politics today. You can't have people say, oh, well, you know, by 2050, uh, the global average temperatures are gonna go up a few degrees uh, Celsius and that's bad and we're at fault. I just made a political statement in today's environment uh, to give you an idea of how fucked things are at the moment. So it's pretty crazy, uh, pretty annoying. But anyway, 
that being said, um, he was doing this stuff and then he made an apology because obviously, obviously he was wrong. And the apology started out actually like, you know, well, I'm very sorry, started out like a sincere apology. If you just got the first like five or 10 seconds of that apology, you'd actually think it was a good apology. And it was kind of beautiful in a horrible way how he started there and then he starts rolling it back and rolling it back and rolling it back. But this and me and then by the end of his five minute apology speech, he actually basically undid whatever good he did in the apology in the first place. So awesome. Um, really have lost so much respect for that dude. Um, I just, I, I'll see if I can find it. I have a podcast episode. Well, I guess it was actually radio at the time, college radio. And he was a guest. He was very gracious. Um, you know, was a nice conversation. It's sad to see that path from there to where he is now. And uh, I mean, I guess it, it's a thing that we're all susceptible to, certainly. And yeah, I have to kind of be hyper vigilant and avoid it because, you know, any of us could probably get there. Although I'd like to think if you have principles and you're guided by them and you have a compass and all of this, maybe not. Like, I don't think, I don't think Bernie, not to be again political, but I don't think Bernie is susceptible to that in the same way. Um, which incidentally, this will be the last thing that I say today, but I, I, I talk to a lot of people who don't like Bernie and they're all freaked out. Oh, Bernie's gonna, you know, the thing that annoys the shit out of me about these people is that they don't know this guy. They don't know, often they don't know that in 2016, after he lost, he not only endorsed Hillary, he went on sort of tour the campaign for her. He voted for her. He encouraged his supporters to do it. I campaigned for her. And now granted, again, it was Tempe, but more than half of the people, you know, so college town, more than half the people I was campaigning for Hillary with, including the organizer, the volunteer organizer, were Bernie supporters. Yeah, you know, we're going out. I, I was going out pretty much every week for a while, uh, especially like toward the end. I was like really like, as it's getting into November, right? Days before, I think I went out a few times. But, you know, like, ah, um, I think I even went out election day. And, yeah, it's just, it, it's annoying. So that you'd have these people that are like, oh, Bernie's going to do all this terrible stuff. Bernie's going to run independent. No, you don't know the fucking guy. The thing that I, one of the things that I like about him is he's actually, like, very decent and honorable and ethical. And even though I'm not following him in this case, he's totally, assuming he doesn't get the nomination, he will totally support Biden, assuming he gets the nomination. He will totally go out and campaign for him. He will totally vote for him and encourage his supporters to do the same. That's the guy. That's part of why I like him so much. And it's part of what annoys the shit out of me because people have these just distorted ideas about him that are so disconnected from reality. Um, you know, I mean, I don't even want to talk about the Bernie bro thing, uh, which is bullshit. You know? And again, yes, there are toxic supporters of any candidate. Um, he's the only candidate who actually talked to his supporters and said, you know, don't be an asshole, basically. Other candidates, you know, like Kamala, for some reason, had a lot of really, um, and they're still out there, like K-Hive, really like asshole supporters. If you, if you go on Twitter, search for hashtag NeverBernie, which is always the first autocomplete or very high in my autocompletes, 
for hashtag never. Even, even on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Holocaust Remembrance Day, I was typing never Biden or something. Or no, actually that was even before I became never, never Biden. Um, I was typing hashtag never Bernie just to get it, just to see like where it was. And it was above never forget at some point. Um, I think never forget was up there part of the day, but yeah, vying for the two. It's just constantly out there. You look at those, these are some fucking toxic assholes and so disgusting. And then also a lot of these are the same people that are like, oh, vote blue no matter who, but also the same person, hashtag never Bernie. Yeah, it's funny. It doesn't matter because he's not a Democrat. Yeah, well, he'd be running as a Democrat if he had the nomination. He would be a Democrat. I fucking hope that if you're going to beat me over the head with blue no matter who, you would vote for the motherfucker if he had the nomination. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a thing that I just, like, and I'm not, I'm not lumping everybody together there. I, I know lots of people who are like, you know, Scott, you got to vote for Biden. I'm, I'm not going to do it. But I know people who are sincere and they're not in that category. Oh, Gil, for example. But the never Bernie people who are also blue no matter who, the super toxic people whose candidates never address them, you know, all these people, um, they can all go fuck themselves. That's pretty much all I'm saying. So I, I just, I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to talk about politics anymore for the rest of this, this episode, which will be like five minutes, but I will talk about it again. It's obviously a thing that I'm just very irritated about. With that, um, thank you as always for listening or watching as the case may be. Zai Jian.